Well, the words, the church. It evokes, those two words evoke different emotions for different groups of people here today, in the room, watching online. For some of you, maybe it brings to mind feelings of joy, feelings of hopefulness, because you have found, you've discovered hope in Jesus. For some of you, you think of the friends that you've made, you think of community, a a group of of individuals that your life is now linked together with. Some of you think of peace. You think of the peace that you have found because you know Jesus, you have a relationship with him. Some of you, you think of serving out in the community. For others of you, though, the words the church bring to mind maybe hypocrisy. Because you've heard all the things that the church has done and the things that the church is supposed to do and the things that the church is supposed to be. So for some of you, you also think of anger. Because whenever you think of the hypocrisy, you think of all these things, you get angry. For some of you, maybe you grew up in the church and now you're, you feel hurt by the church. Maybe you, this is your first time back in a long time because of that past hurt because of that pain that you've experienced, because maybe something happened, maybe somebody was mistreated, and so whenever you think of the church, your mind automatically grows there, your body goes there with the the pain that you experience. You see, I also grew up in the church. Um, You know, most of my childhood growing up in church was pretty good. I mean, for me going to church, um, I got to see my cousins every Sunday. We got to climb trees uh, behind the church, play in the cemetery as well uh, in my church clothes. And my mom's here today and she can tell you that she wasn't very happy that sometimes I'd get my church clothes dirty uh, playing out uh, in the church. Um, But my, my, my child was pretty good. But I can remember this one time in our church where the worship wars came to the church. And it wasn't the worship wars that maybe some of you are thinking of. Worship wars, whenever we hear that term, uh, most of the time Christians are talking about the, uh, the conflict that arises in a church because of contemporary worship versus traditional hymns, traditional music. Um, not that kind of a worship war. No, the worship war in that church was over a piano versus a keyboard. Uh, getting rid of the piano, getting a keyboard. And for my family, my grandmother played the piano, played uh, the organ. And so I can remember um, just being kind of hurt by that decision. So that's why we have a piano today, uh, is because of that decision. Actually, that's not why we have a piano. Uh, but if you play piano, we would love to have a piano player uh, as part of our worship team. Uh, but no, so uh, that was part of my experience. And I can remember thinking as a, as a like, late elementary, early middle school child that pastors, when they go to a church, they just cause a bunch of problems and then they leave. And they leave people alone to figure out all the problems for themselves. But I also saw the good of church. As I got older, I got connected with a group of of people that were my age. I developed deep friendships. Uh, I also began to grow in my faith. Uh, I also discovered what it meant to have lasting hope, hope that can only be found in Jesus. I also discovered what it meant to find new life in Jesus. And no matter what your experience was with the church, whether it was good, whether it was bad, or if it was a mix of both, we all have some experience with the church. Those words bring to mind certain emotions. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, the church. Not because, um, you know, the church is really like anything important at all. We believe that church is the hope of the world. As Jesus uh, said that we are, that those who follow him, we are called the light of the world, that we are the salt of the earth, that Jesus promised that he would build his church and nothing could stop it, not even the gates of hell could stop it. And we also believe that the church is the hope of the world because that's simply how Jesus has decided to work in the world today, through people like you, people like me, broken, 
messed up people doing our best to try to follow our King Jesus. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks unpacking the church. We're going to talk about some of the things that the church has gotten right and some of the things that the church has gotten wrong. We're going to talk about some history of the church. And so today we're going to talk about uh, how, you know, the church got its start. We're going to talk about origins because stories of origin and history are powerful. You see, origin stories have the, the power to shape uh, our identity, to shape where we're going in the future. So it's important for us to look back at where the church had its beginnings. And I think these stories are fascinating, whether it's a story of how a business got started, how an organization got started, uh, maybe how a particular religion got started, or even a particular religion's view of the world and the cosmos and how those things uh, had their origins. I find these, these stories fascinating. You know, Hope Community, this church, we have a particular story. And I say we because we're in this together. I'm not just a pastor up here. Apart from you guys, I'm one of you. I'm also part of this church. And so this church has a story. And if you want the, the entire story, you can go to YouTube, you can go to Spotify, you can go to iTunes, and you can listen and follow along as Pastor Phil and I spend the next couple months really unpacking what the full story looks like. Now, our first podcast episode is about 40 minutes, so that's like the entire length of the rest of the service. So we're not going to go into that today. But you can go to our our website, you can go to YouTube and find that there. Uh, But just a brief overcap of how we got our start. So Pastor Phil and I, we were volunteering. He was on staff. I was a volunteer uh, together at the same church. Um, he was uh, over the, the entire children's and youth ministry. I was volunteering in middle and high school ministry. Um, and we quickly became friends. And during that time, our faith began to grow. And we recognized that God was beginning to stir in us something separately. And once we talked about it, we realized that it wasn't for no accident that God was doing this thing. That he was doing it in us together. And so that maybe that thing that God was doing in us, maybe we should act on it. Maybe we should do something about it. So we began to pray about it. We began to to dream about all the things that the church could be. And in 2015, we set out to begin starting what would later become Hope Community. We started researching. We started uh, filling out paperwork. We started writing all these documents that become the framework for Hope Community. We We began filing for our nonprofit status and all this other stuff to start a church. We were also naive enough during this time to read a bunch of books on church planting. And I remember distinctly one of those books that we read talked about trusting God enough to just pick a date and then go for it. Because no matter what you can, Phil's laughing back there, because no matter how much you prepare, you're never going to feel prepared enough. And so you're never going to launch your church to just pick a date and trust God with the rest. So we did that. We picked the date of January 8th, 2017. We didn't really have a team. We didn't have much money, and we didn't have a location. And so we quickly set out to find all those things. We gathered a small team together. Uh, We did some fundraising, and we began looking at locations around Minerva. Throughout our our search, this building was mentioned over and over, and we're like, oh, that's the old Masonic Lodge. We don't, no, we don't want that space. And so finally, it came up for auction. We're like, okay, maybe we should go look at the building. And so as soon as we walk in, Myself and Phil and Carrie, we all had this feeling that, yeah, this was it. This was where Hope Community was supposed to call home. And so we, the building, we went to the auction, Pastor Phil went to the auction, we got the building by a miracle. Um, and then we got in two months later in the month of November, we were opening in January. 
So we had two months to, to do some serious renovations. And I say serious because this is what the church looked like when we got it. So this is now what is the orange room. So if you go back there today, there's some couches. It looks pretty nice in there. Um, but you know, the building hadn't had any updates done to it since it was opened in about 1958. Um, this is what this existing space looks like or looked like when we got it. So I'm standing about right here. Um, and you can see it was pretty dirty. All the dirt on the walls. I mean, old men don't know how to clean walls apparently. So uh, it was pretty dirty. We had our work cut out for us. But with the help of family and friends, um, we were able to, to, to work really hard and get this building looking presentable for our first service on January 8th, 2017. And that's what the building looked like uh, in that short amount of time. We put up a lot of paint, we scrubbed a lot of things, and it looked presentable. Now today, it looks much different than what it did then, um, but the story is still the same. The story of God working, of God providing, of God gathering a group of people and sending people out. You see, Hope Community, we're five years in, but we believe that we are just getting started. You see, we don't really count the COVID years because for about a year, we really didn't meet uh, in, a, on a, in a building on Sunday morning. So take the COVID years aside, we're about four years into this. And we believe that we are just getting started because here's the thing, we didn't start like other churches that were sent out by another church with a, uh, with a large budget, with a large team of people. Instead, we've spent the last four years gathering, assembling this group of people to build this church. But the story of Hope Community doesn't start in 2015 or 2016 or on January 8th, 2017. It actually starts 2,000 years ago in a little tiny town in the Middle East called Jerusalem. Now, before we, we dive deeper into that, let's unpack the word church, what that word means, because we have a lot of misconceptions because we say we're going to church. But our English word church actually comes from the old German word Kirke, and my German pronunciation is terrible. Um, I could pronounce it with a Spanish accent probably because I had Spanish in school and college, but no German. So, um, so I know I butchered that word, but it's Kirke, which actually refers to a building, to a place of assembly. But when we look at the, the, how the authors of the New Testament and the documents that would later come into our, our Christian Bible, they, were, they use the word ecclesia. And ecclesia means a gathering or a congregation or assembly. Jesus said that I will build my assembly, my gathering, and nothing can stop it. So that's why we intentionally call this our Sunday gathering. We don't call this our church service. We call this our Sunday gathering because we are gathering a group of people that just so happen to meet in the same location every single week. So if the church is not the building, then what is the church? What is the church? Well, we're not going to go through all the scriptures tied to this, but just real quick, the church, Jesus says it's the body of Christ. It's how he has chosen to represent himself in the world today. The church is also called the bride of Christ. Jesus loves his bride. He loves the church. Jesus calls the church a holy temple, that he is building together a new temple in which to dwell. The church is also past, its present, its future. The church spans time. It spans the ages. It's around the globe today. You know, this morning we sang the song, The Creed, which is based off the Apostles' Creed, which was written in the early third century. This ancient uh, set of beliefs around the church 
and those beliefs are recited by churches all over the globe every time they gather. And so whenever we sing that song, we're uniting ourselves with the bigger picture, the bigger church, because it's not just about this church, it's about the bigger church. The church is also unstoppable, that nothing can stop it. We read earlier that the gates of hell will not stop Jesus' church. Fun little fact about the church is that the church is the most ethnically diverse group in the world. It's the most, most ethnically diverse religion ever. Think about most world religions. Think about Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism. Most of the time they remain in their same country that they developed or the same ethnicity. But Christianity is not like that. Christianity is made up of every nation on this world. The church in the West, it seems like it's declining. It's in a terrible state, but globally the church is growing. It's an exciting time to be part of the church. The church in Africa alone is over 550 million Christians. And it's expected to continue to grow. The church is growing in China, where it's meeting in, in underground spaces where they can't meet publicly. The church is growing in parts of, uh, other parts of Asia. It's growing in South America. It's grow, growing in the Middle East, in Iran, in Iraq, where people are meeting uh, in prisons and starting churches and prisons because they're already arrested. So why not start a church there? They can't really do anything else to you. Um, and so the church is growing. And it started 2,000 years ago in a small little town in the Middle East called Jerusalem. I say small because it's small by modern standards. I mean, it wasn't made up of millions of people, but rather the, the size of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus was about 80,000 people. Com compare that to Canton, Ohio today. Canton is about 70,000 people. And so I know for us in little old Minerva, Ohio, we think Canton's a big city because, you know, we're a town of like 3,500. Um, but... It's pretty small when you think of the major metropolitan areas of the world today. So the, the church started right here in the Middle East, if I can advance my slide, in Jerusalem. Right there. So you've got the, the Middle East over to the West, you've got Egypt and African continent, and then uh, parts of Asia and Europe to the North. So right there is where the church got its start. And today we're going to do a brief overview of looking at how the church got its start. And we're going to do that by looking at the book of Acts. Now, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Acts. Your, your Bible might also call it the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, the verses are also going to be up here on the screen. Uh, but the book of Acts was, um, is, details how the church got its start. Now, we're not going to go verse by verse through this like we're going through the Gospel of John. Rather, we're going to cover the entire book of Acts this morning, so... Hang on, because we're going to go fast. Uh, it's thir about 30 chapters, and so we're, we're going pretty fast. Luke was, or it was written by a guy by the name of Luke, uh, who also wrote the gospel according to Luke. Luke was a physician. He was a researcher. When he starts the, the gospel according to Luke, he writes that he researched all these things, most excellent Theophilus. Luke was also an eyewitness to many of the things that he records in the book of Acts. Now, Acts and Luke were actually one scroll originally, but it was so long that they decided to chop it in half. And whenever things were put into our, Hebrew, our English New Testaments, they grouped all the gospel accounts together, and then comes the book of Acts. And so it records what happens next. It records what happens after Jesus was crucified, after he rose from the dead. And it begins with Jesus spending 40 days teaching his disciples uh, about life in the kingdom after he leaves. And then he promises them his spirit. 
and we read this. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. This one little statement is kind of Luke's way of saying, look, here's where we're going. Here's where the rest of this story is going to go. And as the, the book of Luke or book of Acts unfolds, it follows the same pattern. The church starts in Jerusalem. It moves out into Samaria and Judea, and then it moves out even further into what they would have called the ends of the earth at that time. It was uh, really the entire Roman Empire is what they knew as the world. Now, it's an eyewitness account because it was written by somebody who saw these things. Uh, and it was written about 35 or 25 to 30 years after the life of Jesus. And so we know that this is a pretty reliable document. But Jesus here says that they will receive power. They will receive the power of his spirit to, to empower them to go out into the rest of the world, to be his witnesses, to invite all nations to come and live under his reign. And it begins in Jerusalem close to this spot. So this is the Temple Mount uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, this particular spot right here is called the Western Wall. And actually most of this wall from about this point down, down, was uh, there at the time of Jesus. This is where the temple in Jesus' day would have been located. And the temple would have been located right here where the Dome of the Rock is currently located. And the, the church really began right in this area and actually, an incredible event happened here uh, that we're going to read about in just a second. So, in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we read this, that when the day of Pentecost had arrived, that they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So it's this picture of, of God sending his spirit, pouring out his spirit. The spirit is, is what Christians call the third member of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a physical manifest, or it's a manifestation of God uh, among people, and he decided to give it to people. In the, in the Hebrew Bible, God came in powerful ways, and those ways were accompanied by fire, by wind, by clouds. When the, the temple was built in ancient Israel and dedicated, God's spirit came down in a big cloud. When God led his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt, he led them by the power of his spirit through a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. When God met with Moses on Mount Sinai to give Israel the law and the Ten Commandments, he covered it with his presence with a fiery cloud. And now the, the cloud, the presence of God, wasn't coming to fill a building, but rather was coming to fill followers of Jesus. He was building this new ethnic messianic community. And it happened there in Jerusalem. And now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem because of the Feast of Pentecost, which was the Feast of the Harvest, uh, devout people from every nation under heaven. It was the perfect time for Jesus to begin his church, to begin his gathering. This time when all these people were gathered in one spot from all the nations and as the Spirit came on the first followers of Jesus, they began to speak in other languages. These languages that the people from all these other nations heard and recognized. They're like, wait, that, that's our language. How are they speaking in our language? 
And when they saw it happen, they began to accuse because there was no explanation for this. Because God doesn't pour out his spirit on people. He comes in a building. And so they began to accuse these first followers of Jesus of being drunk. And Peter, being kind of the spokesman for this group, he gets up and he says, guys, look, they're not drunk. I know you know people that are drunk by 9 a.m., but it's only 9 a.m., they are not drunk. And he begins to unpack what God was up to, how he had promised this to happen way back uh, to the prophets and uh, Moses, and that it was coming to the, their fulfillment. And so after Peter finished his message, his sermon, those who accepted his, Peter's message, they were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. 3,000 people instantly the church began to grow, it began to move. It wasn't just about a building, it was about a people. It was about a people being sent out. It was about a move of God that the world had never seen. But immediately after the church began to grow, persecution began to break out. Because these people, they go out, they start healing people, they start spreading the good news. And the religious establishment of the day, they didn't like it. They saw Christianity as some knockoff Jewish cult. And so they began to do what they could to stamp out this thing that they called the way. And one of the first people to be killed for their faith was a guy by the name of Stephen. Stephen got up and he began to proclaim what God was doing and uh, show people how God or how Jesus had fulfilled all these prophecies. And people didn't like it. And there's this guy by the name of Saul who wanted nothing more than to see this church extinguished, extinguished see the, the thing called the way extinguished. And he was standing there giving approval as the crowds picked up stones to throw at Stephen to kill him. And that persecution that came on the church then, it didn't shut the church down, but rather it caused the church to scatter. Remember, Jesus said that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And so now the church begins to scatter. Because had it not been for that persecution, the church probably would have stayed right there in Jerusalem where it began. But God had other plans. God used that persecution for good to get his church to move. And so we begin to see then how the church, which was once based mostly in Jerusalem, begins to become a multi-ethnic international movement. We see Philip one of the disciples uh, baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, helping to understand uh, what God was doing. And he says, I want to be part of this new kingdom community of Jesus. And he baptizes them into the faith. And then we see the guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus who is standing there as Stephen was being killed, giving approval of it, become a follower of Jesus because he had an interaction with Jesus. And Jesus says, I want to use this guy. And the Apostle Paul went on not to stamp out the church, but rather to do more for the church than any other person in all of church history and to cause it spread around the entire Roman world. So we begin then to see Paul and some of his, his followers, some of the early followers of Jesus, begin to move out into parts of Asia Minor and, and into Greece and start little Jesus gatherings wherever they went and disciple people and say, okay, now you're, at, you're a little Jesus gathering now go do the same thing. Go spread the good news that Jesus is king. And we start to see again that fulfillment of Jesus' mission, that he would build his church and that nothing, not even persecution from the church or from uh, Judaism would stop it. And some people, they believe and some people reject them and they get thrown out of town. And tensions begin to arise in this new ethnic community of Jesus as followers of Jesus that are Jewish first, and they became Christians, called Jewish Christians, and Gentile Christians begin to, that was, who were non-Jewish, 
became Christian, they start to do life with one another. And the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians, they think that the Gentile Christians must become Jewish first in order to follow Jesus because Jesus was, after all, the Jewish Messiah. So it made sense if you're going to follow him that you must also become Jewish. But the Gentile Christians, they didn't like that very much because that meant that they had to keep the entire law of Moses and for the men that meant that they had to be circumcised. And so they called the first church business meeting called the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 to, to try to settle this matter. And it was at this meeting that the different apostles and different church leaders were getting up, weighing in when James the apostle stands up. He says this, he says, therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties. We should not make it difficult, some translations say, for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. Instead, he writes that we should, you know, write to them to abstain from sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols and all these other things. But we shouldn't make it difficult for those who want to follow Jesus because following Jesus is already a big enough stumbling block. And so why should we put other things in the way? And so for the first time, following Jesus was simply not about fulfilling all these laws, but it was about trusting in him. In fact, this verse is the inspiration behind this church because we wanted to be a church where all people could discover hope unhindered. Where we had cleared out some of the things that people uh, found offensive about the church, where things about the church that were unnecessarily offensive were cleared out out of the way. Because coming to church is a big enough stumbling block. Hearing that you're a sinner in need of a savior is a big enough stumbling block. So why put other things in the way? So that's why we say that we want to be a church where all people can discover hope unhindered because we should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. And so this, as I said, was a huge decision and the church continued then to spread and to move out after this decision. We see God continue to do works. We see God performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or you know, napkins, sweat rags that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. God was doing a new thing. He was showing that his kingdom had come. The lame were walking. The blind were receiving sight. The lepers were being healed. God's kingdom had come on earth as it is in heaven, and people of all nations were being invited into it. But again, we see clashes come between uh, the Jewish communities and non-Jewish communities because Jewish leaders saw this as a knockoff Jewish cult, and they wanted to see it extinguished. And so they would have the apostles arrested and jailed, but they would find nothing wrong. The Romans also had a problem with the, this new thing called the way, with the Jesus movement, because they also saw this thing as a distraction from the empire, that it could cause the downfall of the Roman Empire. Because you have these Jesus followers that didn't worship the emperor, that didn't worship the Roman pantheon of gods, but rather they worshiped one God, and his name was Jesus. He was, Jesus was their king. And that was a big problem. Because the success of the Roman Empire depended on the people's worship of the gods, of making sure that the gods were happy. So here you have this group that's like, no, we're not going to do that. We've got one Lord, and it's not Caesar, that are causing uproars. So much so that in the city of Ephesus, a group of silversmiths that were making statues of the goddess Artemis had a very difficult time and caused an uproar in the city, wanting to, to have these guys arrested and thrown out. And so they, they do arrest Paul and his traveling companion. But they, when they arrest him, they begin to question him and find out that 
he's actually done nothing wrong. You see, the people that Paul is gathering, groups of men and women, of slave and free, of Jew and non-Jew, they're not a threat. Because they're all one under their Lord. They're not, Paul isn't gathering an army because Jesus taught his disciples, his followers, that you should turn the other cheek, that you should love your enemy as yourself, that you should love your neighbor, that you forgive as you have been forgiven. And his first followers were really serious about actually doing that. And so they released Paul. They released his, his uh, traveling companions because they actually posed no threat to the Roman Empire. Eventually, Paul makes his way to Rome because the Jews think that he has betrayed Judaism. The Romans think that he's responsible for starting a rebellion in Egypt. And so they arrest him. And Paul, under arrest, declares that he would like a trial in Rome because he was a Roman citizen. He could do that. And so he appeals to the court in Rome. And as he travels and makes his way to Rome, he continues to spread the good news of what Jesus is doing, to spread the good news of the kingdom of God that had come on earth as it was in heaven. And once Paul made it to Rome, he spent his time under house arrest writing letters to all these churches that he had started and some that he didn't, helping them to, helping them to understand and figure out what it looked like to live as kingdom people under God's new kingdom. He also then gathered the Jewish leaders together in Rome to try to convert them and convince them that they should also follow the Jewish Messiah, that they should follow Jesus. And so in Acts chapter 28, we read this. The Jews come to, to Paul and they say, but we want to hear what your views are, since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this, this sect. So word had gotten out about the church and the Jews, they wanted to know more because they kept hearing about this thing. People everywhere were speaking out against it. And after arranging a day with him, with Paul, many came down to him at his lodging. From dawn till dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He bore witness to the kingdom of God and he tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. So he tried to convince them uh, based on their Hebrew scriptures. And some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. And disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The statement that they found extremely offensive. The statement was, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, Go to these people and say, You will always be listening, but never understanding. You will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous, and their ears are hard. Otherwise they might see with their... Uh, they're hard of hearing, otherwise, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known that, that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Look, guys, I know that this is hard to understand, and I know you guys are, are rejecting it, but God's still going to do what he's going to do. The Jewish people, you, you guys, it's, it's too hard for you to understand so God's going to, to gather the Gentiles, and they are the ones that are going to listen. And I would say to some of you this morning that maybe perhaps you have hardened your heart, that you have decided, yeah, I've heard that before, that's nice. I would beg you to, to reconsider, to maybe reconsider the claims that Jesus made, the, the claims of Christianity. And don't harden your heart. And Paul stayed there two whole years in his own rented house, he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. 
So the Apostle Paul stayed there. He continued to, to be on mission for God, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, bear witness to it. And that's how the book of Acts, it ends. It ends by showing how God's kingdom had come on earth as it was in heaven through Jesus in his spirit and the power of the church. You see, Jesus was building his gathering and nothing could stop it. Not Jewish persecution, not Roman persecution, nothing could stop it. And there's a little verse in the first part of Acts that we didn't read where some Jewish leaders get together and they try to figure out what they're going to do to try to stop this Jesus movement. This wise man gets up and he says that if this movement is from God, because other movements have come, they fizzled out, but if this movement is from God, nothing can stop it. They will not be able to stop it. And so that's the story of how the church got started. That's how Luke ends it. He ends it with this unstated question of, are you going to join in what God is doing? Are you going to be part of it? Are you going to join your story to God's greater story? Because God's going to do it with or without you. He said that he would build his church and nothing could stop it. But God desires all of you desires me to be part of it. But here's the thing. God isn't going to force us to be part of his church, but the invitation is there. Some of you might be wondering, well, why should I even be part of this story? Why should I be part of the church? You know, why not join a different story? You know, in our day-to-day, our our culture day, grand narratives, big stories aren't really that popular. We're told, listen to your heart when it's calling to you. I sang that earlier. I'm not going to sing that right now. Um, We're told, listen to your heart, that only you know your true identity, that you create your own reality. Trust in that. Find your purpose, your meaning in that. Maybe you might be wondering, well, why not join the story, the grand narrative of the progressives or the grand narrative of the conservatives because it seems like they've got it all figured out. But do they really? Because all these other stories, they end up leaving us nowhere. They end up, end up leaving us feeling empty. They end up leaving us feeling angry, bitter, bitter at the world, bitter at people. And I know that because I know people like that, that have bought into these other stories, these other narratives. And it's a way that does not lead to life, but the way of Jesus leads to life. It leads to a way of flourishing. And none of us want to end up angry all the time. None of us ever want to be bitter all the time. So my challenge for you is, what are you waiting for? Why not join this greater story, a story that began 2,000 years ago and a story that is still continuing today? And you might be thinking, well, yeah, but what about my identity? Because it's about the collective, right? The church. It's about a gathering. And it is. In the church, there is no me. It's about a we. It's about us bearing witness to Jesus. It's about us building up one another, encouraging one another, loving one another, forgiving one another. But at the same time, that you, that individual you, that beautiful you that God created, that identity finds its truest meaning and its deepest purpose in the church. So your identity isn't lost, but rather it becomes enhanced but not by serving yourself and seeking your own way and defining your own reality, but it rather, it rather gets uh, defined and finds its purpose in serving others and laying down yourself for others and pouring out who you are for the benefit of other people. And some of you might be here today and you'll be like, well, that's just a nice story. You know, I like it. 
and that's where it lands. It's, it just stops right there. It's like, well, you know, it doesn't really make any impact. But I would, I'd, again, I'd, I'd warn you against stopping there. Maybe consider some of the truth claims of Christianity. Maybe consider the fact that the church is still growing after 2,000 years. Maybe consider the fact that the church is the most ethnically diverse religion in the world. Maybe consider some of the truth claims of Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And so maybe consider some of those claims. Maybe some of you, you're like, I'm already on board. I'm excited. I, I want to be on mission. Well, great. Your, your, your next step, your challenge, is then to invite other people into it. And we've got a great way to do that. It's called Alpha. Alpha is a course that's designed to explore the Christian faith uh, in a conversational environment that's non-judgmental. It starts in September. So think about who you might invite into that to invite into God's greater story. Pray for them and trust that by the power of the Spirit that God has poured out upon you, that he is working, that he is working in you because that same Spirit who came on Pentecost and empowered the first Jesus followers to go out into the world to bear witness is empowering you now to go out, to leave this building, to go out into your home, your community, to bear witness to the good news of the kingdom of God. And we're, again, we're not alone in this. We're in this together. It's not about me. It's about we collectively going out and doing this. It's about us encouraging one another to bear witness to what God is doing. Earlier we, said, we, we, and we sang the, the, the song, The Creed, This I Believe. It talks about the communion of saints. We have the communion of saints, these believers all around the world, past, present, and future with us as well, encouraging us along the way. And so that story that got started 2,000 years ago is still being written. But the question is, are you going to be part of it? Are you going to be part of it? And if you want to be part of it, you can go to our website, hopecommunityonline.org, click on the Next Steps launcher, and you can take your next step there. Come find myself or Pastor Phil after the service. Because the good news of Jesus is still going out, is still, still building his church, is still spreading in our, into our community.